0: Chapter Six of The Dragon of Wantley: His Tale by Owen Wister. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six: Miss Elaine loses her heart and finds something of the greatest importance. Downstairs, the grace was said, and the company was soon seated and ready for their midday meal. Our fare," said Father Anselm pleasantly to Sir Godfrey, who sat on his right is plain but substantial oh uh, um very likely replied the baron as he received a wooden basin of black bean broth our drink is the baron lifted his eye hopefully remarkably pure water father anselm continued clement he called to the monk whose turn it was that day to hand the dishes clement a goblet of our well-water for Sir Godfrey de Sison, one of the large goblets, Clement. We are indeed favoured, Baron, in having such a pure spring in the midst of our home." "'Ah, ah,' observed the Baron again, and politely nerved himself for a swallow. But his thoughts were far away in his own cellar over at Wantley contemplating the casks whose precious gallons the dragon had consumed. Could it be the strength of his imagination, or else why was it that through the chilling unwelcome liquid he was now drinking he seemed to detect a lurking flavor of the very wine whose casks had contained his favorite Malvoisie? Father Anselm noticed the same taste in his own cup and did not set it down to imagination, but afterwards sentenced brother Clement to bread and water during three days for carelessness in not washing the monastery table service more thoroughly. This simple food keeps you in beautiful health, father," said Mistletoe, ogling the swarthy face of the abbot with an affection that he duly noted. "'My daughter,' he replied gravely, Bodily infirmity is the reward of the glutton. I am well, thank you." Meanwhile, Elaine did not eat much. Her thoughts were busy and hurrying over recent events. Perhaps you think she lost her heart in the last chapter, and cannot lose it in this one unless it is given back to her. But I do not agree with you, and I am certain that if you suggested such a notion to her she would become quite angry and tell you not to talk such foolish nonsense. People are so absurd about hearts and all that sort of thing. No, I do not really think she has lost her heart yet. But as she sits at table, these are the things she is feeling. Number one, not at all hungry. Two, not at all thirsty. Three, what a hateful person that Father Anselm is. Four, poor, poor young man. Five, not that she thinks of him in that way, of course, the idea. Horrid Father Anselm. Six, any girl at all, no, not girl, anybody at all, who had human justice would feel exactly as she did about the whole matter. Seven, He was very good-looking, too. 8. Did he have—yes, they were blue—very, very very dark blue. 9. And a mustache? Well, yes. Here she laughed, but no one noticed her idling with her spoon. Then her eyes filled with tears, and she pretended to be absorbed with the black bean-broth though as a matter of fact she did not see it in the least. 10. Why had he come there at all? 11. It was a perfect shame treating him so. 12. Perhaps they were not blue, after all, but, oh, what a beautiful sparkle was in them. After this she hated Father Anselm worse than ever and the more she hated him, the more some very restless, delicious something made her draw long breaths. She positively must go upstairs and see what he was doing and what he really looked like. This curiosity seized hold of her and set her thinking of some way to slip away unseen. The chance came through all presents becoming deeply absorbed in what Sir Godfrey was saying to Father Anselm. "'Such a low coarse, untaught brute as a dragon,' he explained, "'cannot possibly distinguish good wine from bad.' "'Of a surety, no,' responded the monk. "'You agree with me upon that point,' said the baron. "'Most certainly. Proceed.' Well, I'm going to see that he gets nothing but the cider and small beer after this." "'But how will you prevent him, if he visit your cellar again?' Father Anselm inquired. "'I shall change all the labels in the first place,' the baron answered. "'Ah, vastly well-conceived,' said Father Anselm. "'You will label your burgundy as if it were beer.' and. Next, continued Sir Godfrey, I shall shift the present positions of the Hogsheads. That I shall do to-day after re In the northern corner of the first wine-vault I shall—just as he reached this point, it was quite wonderful how strict an attention every monk paid to his words. They leaned forward, forgetting their dinner, and listened with all their might. One of them, who had evidently received an education, took notes underneath the table. Thus it was that Elaine escaped observation when she left the refectory. As she came upstairs into the hall where Geoffrey was caged, she stepped lightly and kept where she could not be seen by him. All was quiet when she entered, but suddenly she heard the iron bars of the cage begin to rattle and shake, and at the same time Geoffrey's voice broke out in rage. "'I'll twist you loose,' he said, "'you rattle, shake, you kick, bang!' And here the shocking young man used words so violent and wicked that Elaine put her hands tight over her ears. "'Why, he is just as dreadful as Papa—just exactly!' she exclaimed to herself. Who ever would have thought that that angelic face? But I suppose they are all like that sometimes." And she took her hands away again. "'Yes, I will twist you loose,' he was growling hoarsely, while the kicks and wrenches grew fiercer than ever, or twist myself stark staring blind, and—' "'Oh, sir,' she said, running out in front of the cage. He stopped at once and stood looking at her. His breastplate and gauntlets were down on the floor, so his muscles might have more easy play in dealing with the bars. Elaine noticed that the youth's shirt was of very costly eastern silk. I was thinking of getting out, he said at length, still standing and looking at her. I thought I might. "'That is, um, you you—you might—' uh, uh, began Miss Elaine, and stopped, upon which another silence followed. "'Lady, who sent you here?' he inquired. "'Oh, they don't know,' she replied hastily, and then, seeing how bright his face became, and hearing her own words, she looked down, and the crimson went over her cheeks as he watched her. "'Oh, if I could get out!' he said desperately. "'Lady, what is your name, if I might be so bold?' "'My name, sir, is Elaine. Perhaps there is a key somewhere,' she said. "'And I am called Geoffrey,' he said in reply. "'I think we might find a key,' Elaine repeated." She turned towards the other side of the room, and there hung a great bunch of brass keys dangling from the lock of a heavy door. Ah, Hubert, thou art more careless than Brother Clement, I think, to have left those keys in such a place. Quickly did Elaine cross to that closed door, and laid her hand upon the bunch. The door came open the next moment, and she gave a shriek to see the skin of a huge lizard-beast fall forward at her feet and also many cups and flagons that rolled over the floor, dotting it with little drops of wine. Hearing Elaine shriek, and not able to see from his prison what had befallen her, Geoffrey shouted out in terror to know if she had come to any hurt. "'No,' she told him, and stood eyeing, first the crocodile's hide, and then the cups, setting her lips together very firmly, and they were not even dry, she said after a while, for she began to guess a little of the truth. Not dry? Who? inquired Geoffrey. Oh, Geoffrey! she burst out in deep anger, and then stopped, bewildered. But his heart leaped to hear her call his name are there no keys he asked keys Uh, yes she cried and running with them back to the bars began trying one after another in trembling haste till the lock clicked pleasantly and out marched young geoffrey now what do you suppose this young man did when he found himself free once more and standing close by the lovely young person to whom he owed his liberty did he place his heels together and let his arms hang gracefully and so bow with respect and a manner at once dignified and urbane and say miss elaine permit me to thank you for being so kind as to let me out of prison that is what he ought to have done of course if he had known how to conduct himself like a well-brought-up young man but i am sorry to have to tell you that Geoffrey did nothing of the sort, but, instead of that, behaved in a most outrageous manner. He did not thank her at all. He did not say one single word to her. He simply put one arm around her waist and gave her a kiss. Geoffrey, she murmured, uh, "'don't!' But Geoffrey did, and with the most astonishing and complacent disobedience. Oh, Geoffrey, she whispered, looking the other way, how wrong of you, and of me, she added a little more softly still, escaping from him suddenly and facing about. I don't see that, said Geoffrey. I love you, Elaine. Elaine, darling, I— Oh, but you mustn't, answered she, stepping back as he came nearer. This was simply frightful, and so sudden, to think of her, Elaine! But she couldn't think at all. Happy! Why, how wicked! How had she ever—no, you must not, she repeated, and backed away still farther. But I will, said this lover, quite loudly, and sprang so quickly to where she stood that she was in his arms again. And this time without the faintest chance of getting out of them until he should choose to free her. It was no use to struggle now, and she was still, like some wild bird. But she knew that she was really his, and was glad of it, and she looked up at him and said very softly, Geoffrey, we are wasting time. Oh, no, not at all, said Geoffrey. But we are. Say that you love me. But haven't I—ah, Geoffrey, please don't begin again. Say that you love me." She did. Then taking his hand, she led him to the door she had opened. He stared at the crocodile, at the wine-cups, and then he picked up a sheet of iron and a metal torch. I suppose it is their museum, he said. Don't you? Their museum? Geoffrey, think a little. They seem to keep very good wine, he remarked, after smelling at the Demijohn. Don't you see? Can't you understand? she said. No, not a bit. What's that thing, do you suppose? he added, giving the crocodile a kick oh me but men are simple men are simple said elaine in despair geoffrey listen that wine is my father's wine from his own cellar there is none like it in all england then i don't see why he gave it to a parcel of monks replied the young man elaine clasped her hands in hopelessness gave him a kiss and became mistress of the situation Now, Geoffrey," she said, I will tell you what you and I have really found out. Then she quickly recalled all the recent events, how her father's cellar had been broken into, how mistletoe had been chained to a rock for a week, and no dragon had come near her. She bade him remember how just now Father Anselm had opposed every plan for meeting the dragon, and at last she pointed to the crocodile. "'Ah!' said Geoffrey, after thinking for a space. "'Then you mean—' "'Of course I do,' she interrupted. "'The dragon of Wantley is now downstairs, with Papa, eating dinner, "'and pretending he never drinks anything stronger than water. "'What do you say to that, sir?' "'This is a foul thing,' cried the knight. "'Here have I been damnably duped. "'Here—' but speech deserted him. He glared at the crocodile with a bursting countenance, then drove his toe against it with such vigor that it sailed like a football to the farther end of the hall. "'Papa has been duped, and everybody,' said Elaine. "'Papa's French wine.' "'They swore to me in Flanders I should find a real dragon here,' he continued, raging up and down, and giving to the young lady no part of his attention she began to fear he was not thinking of her. Geoffrey, she ventured. "'They swore it. They had invited me to hunt a dragon with them in Flanders, Count Fauxpas and his Walloons. We hunted day and night, and the quest was barren. They then directed me to this island of Britain, in which they declared a dragon might be found by any man who so desired. They lied in their throats.' I have come leagues for nothing." Here he looked viciously at the distant hide of the crocodile. "'But I shall slay the monk,' he added, a masquerading caitiff, lying varlets, and all for nothing. The monk shall die, however." "'Have you come for nothing, Geoffrey?' murmured Elaine. Three years have I been seeking dragons in all countries chasing deceit over land and sea, and now once more my dearest hope falls empty and stale. Why, what's this?" A choking sound beside him stopped the flow of his complaints. Oh, Geoffrey! oh, miserable me! The young lady was dissolved in tears. Elaine, dearest, don't! You said you had come for n-nothing, n- and it was all st- st- stale. Ah, I am a fool indeed. But it was the dragon, dearest. I had made so sure of an honest one in this adventure. Oh, oh, went on Miss Elaine with her head against his shoulder. There, there. You're sweeter than all the dragons in the world, my little girl," said he, and, although this does not appear to be a great compliment, it comforted her wonderfully in the end, for he said it in her ear several times without taking his lips away. Yes, he continued, I was a fool. By your father's own word, you're mine. I have caught the dragon. Come, my girl will down to the refectory forthwith, and denounce him. With this he seized Elaine's hand, and hastily made for the stairs. "'But hold, Geoffrey, hold! Oh, I am driven to act not as maidens should,' sighed Elaine. He it is who ought to do the thinking. But dear me, he does not know how do you not see we should both be lost were you to try any such wild plan not at all your father would give you to me oh no no Geoffrey! indeed papa would not his promise was about a dragon alive or a dead dragon must be brought to him even if he believed you now Even if that dreadful Father Anselm could not invent some lie to put us in the wrong, you and I could never—that is, Papa would not feel bound by his promise, simply because you did that. There must be a dragon somehow." "'How can there be a dragon if there is not a dragon?' asked Geoffrey. "'Wait! Wait, Geoffrey! Oh, how can I think of everything all at once?" And Elaine pressed her hands to her temples. "'Darling,' said the knight, with his arms once more around her, "'let us fly now.' "'Now?' "'They would catch us at once.' "'Catch us, not they, with my sword.' "'Now, Geoffrey, of course you are brave, but do be sensible. You are only one.' No, I won't even argue such nonsense. They must never know about what we have been doing up here, and you must go back into that cage at once." "'What? And be locked up? And perhaps murdered to-night? And never see your face again?' "'But you shall see me again, and soon. That is what I am thinking about.' "'How can you come in here, Elaine?' "'You must come to me. I have it. Tonight, at half-past eleven, come to the cellar door at the manor, and I will be there to let you in. Then we can talk everything over quietly. I have no time to think now. The cellar? At the manor? And how, pray, shall I get out of that cage? Cannot you jump from the little window at the back?" Geoffrey ran in to see. No," he said, returning, it is many spans from the earth. Elaine had hurried into the closet whence she returned with a dusty coil of rope. Here, Geoffrey, quickly, put it around your waist, wind it so. But how clumsy you are! He stood, smiling down at her, and she very deftly wound the cord up and down, over and over his body until its whole length lay comfortably upon him. Now, your breastplate, quick!" She helped him put his armor on again, and as they were engaged at that, singing voices came up the stairs from the distant dining hall. "'The Grace!' she exclaimed. They will be here in a moment." Geoffrey took a last kiss and bolted into his cage. She, with the keys, made great haste to push the crocodile and other objects once more into their hiding-place. Cups and flagons and all rattled back, without regard to order, as they had already been flung not two hours before. The closet door shut, and Elaine hung the keys from the lock as she had found them. "'Half-past eleven, she said to Geoffrey as she ran by his cage towards the stairs one more darling please one through the bars he besought her in a voice so tender that for my part i do not see how she had the heart to refuse him but she continued her way and swiftly descending the stairs was found by the company as they came from the hall busily engaged in making passes with sir godfrey's sword which he had left leaning near the door a warlike daughter sir godfrey said father anselm ah if i were a man to go on a crusade sighed miss elaine hast thou my daughter said father anselm thought better of thy rash intentions concerning this dragon i am travelling towards better thoughts father she answered but sir francis did not wholly believe the young lady and was not at rest until Sir Godfrey assured him her good conduct should be no matter of her own choosing. "'You see,' insinuated the abbot, "'so sweet a maid as yours would be a treat for the unholy beast. A meal like that would incline him to remain in a neighborhood where such dainties were to be found.' "'I'll have no legends and fool's tricks,' exclaimed the baron. She shall be locked in her room to-night." Not if she can help it, thought Miss Elaine. Her father had imprudently spoken too loud. 'Twere a wise precaution," murmured Father Anselm. "'What are all the vintages of this earth by the side of a loving daughter?" "'Quite so, quite so,' Sir Godfrey assented. "'Don't you think,' he added wistfully that another crusade may come along soon? Ah, my son, who can say? Tribulation is our meted heritage. Were thy thoughts more high, the going of thy liquors would not cause thee such sorrow. Learn to enjoy the pure cold water." "'Good afternoon,' said the baron. When all the guests had departed, and the door was shut safe behind them, the father and his holy companions broke into loud mirth. The Malvoisie is drunk up, said they. To-night we'll pay his lordship's cellars another visit. End of Chapter Six.